Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Bot Talk. Episode 22 is with Zekron from F3. He is the owner of F3. Quickly, before we get into today's episode, a couple of things I want to run through. One thing, F3 has branched out to proxies. If you guys want to check them out, link will be down below. Use code the Bot Talk to get access to the proxies once you make an account on their dashboard. The second thing is that this is host on YouTube as a live for me. If you guys want to consider subscribing, it helps me out a ton. If you guys want to drop a like on the video as well, that will help me out a ton as well. And also, comment your thoughts on the episode throughout the premiere i will be in a chat the final thing is that we do actually have a discord in the discord to get restock hints towards these live premieres to give you hints and tips about how to secure these copies and also we give early access information and also early access to these episodes so if you guys are really really interested in the bot talk if you guys want those perks go ahead and check out on twitter we do restocks every so often without further ado guys listen straight into today's episode jumping straight into episode 22 guys i am here with zekron as i mentioned in the intro we're gonna jump straight into these questions how did you discover reset uh, for me, reselling was, it's not normal how normal people found reselling. For me, I found it through fashion. Mainly, I just followed Kanye West and I wanted Yeezys. But it came from a family that couldn't really afford of buying shoes even at retail. Um, so I figured out a way. So if I could loan some money from my dad, my grandparents, I could buy two pairs or maybe optimally even more so that I could sell the rest and keep mine for free. That was the initial uh, motive. But um, using my own skills and some scripts that I did, I managed to cop three pairs of uh, the Black Friday uh, V2s with the brown stripe on the side. And I managed to cop three pairs of that. And that was basically my first kick into reselling. And I actually, with that only, I managed to keep the, my first ever pair, but I, which I still have to this day. Uh, but also that gave me a significant budget uh, to continue reselling because I, I always wanted to buy other sneakers i tried before on kif ultra boosts and etc but i just never had the money nor my parents could loan me some nor i could have been in any way afford them to buy even for reselling so that that's basically was my kickstarter for the career but even though the whole goal wasn't to make money i uh, see that is quite interesting so obviously you had an interest and you had a hobby so to say but the hobby and interest is quite expensive like these shoes even back in the day were pretty pricey and for our average person that maybe doesn't have all that income even as a kid you don't have loads of income to spend loads of money on shoes so it's nice to see that you actually took the initiative to uh, loan some money get all these pairs sell them on and create that margin to get yourself some free pairs and i feel like a lot of the guests that do come on the show a good percentage of them do what you do they have their interest it's an expensive interest and obviously that leads to learning and obviously creating that little drive of reselling that tends to continue down the road but that kind of segues nicely into the next thing i was going to talk about obviously you started reselling to gain money to basically essentially pay off one of your first pairs that you want to keep for personal however what were some of the main motivations behind continuing to resell mainly the money factor because i as i said uh my family wasn't rich by any means and that extra money really helped even though my reselling career wasn't that big because I lived in a small country far away and shipping costs was one of the biggest factors that just ate up all my profits or potential profits. Most, most even most retailers didn't even ship to my country. So I couldn't get uh, a lot of pairs or even try for most of the jobs. And the ones that did were very crowded, even back then, like Kif, for example. So as I mentioned, it was just mainly the money factor that allowed me to save up some money. And most people do it for the money, but I actually saved up all the money. And that money was used to pay for my tuition abroad because the education back home 
uh, isn't as good. So I used the money I gained from reselling to be able to afford my initial rent and initial first year uh, tuition fee in the Netherlands. I see. That is quite interesting. That is one of the main reasons people tend to go into reselling. There's a huge, huge monetary gain. And as we all know, if you guys are inside the community and you guys do resell, we all know that the community is pretty big. But to our outside perspective, if you compare it to other communities, this is somewhat of a niche market. Obviously, there is a demand for these shoes. If you can capitalize on that demand and gain money and gain this monetary gain, obviously, like you mentioned, tuition fees and just paying off expenses that you'd have to cover for yourself normally through like a job. Succeeding your passion and fueling your interest while making money is a win-win situation and it's obviously very very nice to see now we brought on zeke onto the bot talk one of the main things he's known for he's mainly known for owning f3 he's the owner f3 like i mentioned in the intro and also he is a developer he codes pretty heavily and i wanted to dive into exactly how he got into coding so to start that off how did you discover coding for me i was just off the bat before fashion i was just a computer geek i liked computers uh, I like games and I was always a tinkerer. I tend to usually even enjoy more playing and disassembling my computer than actually playing games with it. And that's how I basically, from the hardware perspective of computers and technology, that's how I started to learn and you know spend a bit more time learning how to program. At first, I start off pretty young. When I was 14, that's when I tried to learn. But usually with school and with other interests and you know how young people are you the usual difficulty of retaining that interest for a prolonged period of time um i didn't really learn much or well apart from basics but when i was around 15 that's when i properly started to code and that and my first programming project where I actually learned most of my programming was trying to make cheats for Counter-Strike. Ah, uh, see, so it sparked from obviously a young age and there was an interest there to pursue it. It is quite similar to the guest we had at the beginning of the season where he was talking about how he got into coding regarding games and obviously in previous episodes we've talked to developers where they start coding with games and obviously being uh, heavily interested in computing and gaming and that kind of evolves into something bigger and for most people it doesn't get to this stage but for the selective people that it does it turns into something great and that kind of segues nicely in to the next thing I want to ask obviously when you start coding there's a lot of selection to go with languages you can go with what were some of the first languages that you did go ahead and learn? Well my first language that I learned was actually in school. That's one where I found the, well, the initial spark in programming that there's a bit more than hardware, just building computers was Pascal or Turbo Pascal. I also learned a bit of um, Fortran at the same time. If you look at the time period, my school was way behind the program. And these are very old languages and quite useless at this modern age. Um, but yeah, my proper actual language that I learned uh, myself outside of school that's when I was around 15, as I mentioned before, it was Python. Yeah, I do resonate with you there. I didn't start coding from a really, really young age. However, when I did start coding, I did get into Python just because it's one of those programs where it is simple to learn to pick up and it kind of starts your development of understanding programming languages and expanding on that. And that kind of segues nicely into the next thing I want to ask. You started coding at a young age. When you're a kid, you get into loads of hobbies. Some people get into sports, some people get into other activities. What were some of the reasons why you decided to continue to learn coding? It was just for the fun. I, I, I just saw interest in it. I, I really liked it. I enjoyed more than any subject, especially in school. Um, I finished my entire school subject like two years early. So I was helping the teacher along the way because it was just so much fun. And even to this day, I think that plays well with uh, my work ethics and how I'm still able to work 
such crazy hours even to this day is just pure interest. I truly enjoy what I do even right now because for me, creating things, especially programming on the computer is just, I really like it. That's, I don't know how, how else to describe it. It's just so much fun to me and sense of achievement is also really good, especially nowadays if a drop goes really well or something I was trying or some optimization or some new bypass in Supreme really works well and the customer isn't happy and I'm happy. The sense of dopamine after that is just really what drives me forward. And yeah, it's just interest and passion. That's in the, in the shorthand why I really like it. That does relate to some of the things you mentioned before. In some of your answers, you didn't mention the fact that you had a heavy, heavy interest in reselling and obviously your like for fashion. So that's why you continued to pursue it. And that is very, very similar to what you're doing now with coding. And I feel like with coding, something you touched upon is that when you see the success and you actually see the results of it, over a huge scale because you got to think about the fact that you're creating codes you're creating automation to give to thousands of people and then from there they can go ahead and uh, succeed make loads of money like you said dopamine here i bet it's one of the best feelings and i bet it makes your work feel paid off. yeah i i completely agree that's something at the moment at least that's how i feel that's something to live for the success or not monetary success but this when something works the way you plan it and you know you can what's the what's the phrase you work really hard and then you taste uh, really sweet fruit so that's that's how i live by even to this day after so many years so i feel like that's developed a very very good basis for how you got into reselling how you got into coding how you developed those interests we're going to move on to f3 if guys are unaware of f3 it is by opinion one of the most dominant supreme bots on the market right now that you can buy and it cooks consistently for me. I'm an EU user. It supports EU, US. It supports Supreme in general. It's a Supreme focus. But we had Chaba on a couple of episodes ago where we did the restock. We did hint at restock at the beginning of the episode. So stay tuned for that, guys. However, we have a few questions to ask Zekron here. Where did the name F3 come from? Oh, the name of F3, as Chaba told as well, uh, the name was completely different before and it was pretty shit, I'm being honest. Uh, but we're trying to think of something different. And he was, as he mentioned as well, as Shaba mentioned, um, he was just shooting random names and we were trying either at first some space theme like Aurora or, or whatever. And he just mentioned um, like Feather as a bird. And then it played into with being lightweight, thus fast, like a light Supreme bot that you can run a lot of tasks on, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how a Feather logically tied into what a bot or a piece of software is it's just being lightweight that's how you just join together yeah personally i do really enjoy a good origin story behind a name i feel like if you have a name that doesn't really mean anything again it is fine but if there is a story that's tangible with it it makes good for situations like these where you do come onto platforms to talk about the name it's very very good to have an origin story and how it developed however that moves on really nicely to my next question what inspired you to create a bot we did mention that you have a heavy interest in coding and you did have that interest in research how did you go from being a reseller and a coder to deciding to create a bot? As I mentioned before, uh, reselling helped me pay my tuition fees. And I was at, the, at that current time, I was fully focused on my studies. I was studying artificial intelligence and machine learning, and I wasn't really paying much attention to reselling. I was still following all the news and what was reselling, what was not, but I wasn't really trying to go for drops. That's how my interest shifted to Supreme to begin with, because it was a bit more casual than for me trying to orchestrate all the reshippers and trying to buy from uh, abroad and then get my pairs back in. During studies being so far away from family and all my friends, I got uh, depression 
I got depressed. And one of the things that I know, or at least in my opinion, that helps against depression is just trying to uh, think of it, or at least that helped me at that current point in time. So I was trying to shift my focus off feeling sad and feeling depressed into working really hard hours. And I was basically just sitting all night up to five in the morning, just writing random scripts and random code, not related to botting. And one day I thought, okay, cool. Maybe it would be something interesting uh, to turn one of my random scripts that I had for Supreme uh, into a bit more usable, full-fledged, more flexible bot for myself. And while doing it, I I saw that, oh, uh, this is something I really like. I like the tinkering. I like the research. I liked, uh, I even enjoyed the long hours at the point, as I mentioned before, I, I didn't stop for a two or three months working till five in the morning and then waking up at 10 in the morning. So if you add that up, that's around a hundred hours a week. And at certain point before the end, finalizing my, at that point, quote unquote, private bot, um, I thought, okay, maybe I could try sell it to some other people. Uh, maybe it would be useful to someone else. And that's how I started to maybe prepare it a bit more for more than me, for adding a bit nicer UI, a bit more usable, a bit easier to use. And that's how it just, it turned out from a private script into a nicer bot to help me distract myself from depression into something that I was at that point thinking I could sell to a few people, but never like this. And I never even expected it to go this big and or even this way because I didn't really research the sneaker Twitter. I wasn't even using Twitter at that point. I knew it existed, but I never knew it could reach a scale. So the plan for it to go as big and the bot to be compatible for so many users and all for so many people and also being easy easy to use was never the plan well that is a very very good answer you kind of went into detail with a lot of things a, a few things that i do want to pick out there you did mention that obviously it developing into something this big and you seeing the results of it is obviously very very satisfying obviously going back to that dopamine hit of your work paying off and obviously you said you were hard worker linked to some depression a depression period that you were going through and I can kind of resonate that I feel like when you do work hard and you do take your mind off things and it leads to success, it kind of helps with that. I think keeping your mind off things, we spoke about this before on previous episodes of the Bot Talk where people deal with problems and they start to work and through that they do create success for themselves and I feel like that is the best way to come out of those situations because obviously with creating all the success it kind of gives you meaning it kind of gives you purpose to do something and I feel like you did this in a very very good way and I'm very very happy that you managed to get out of that period and you created something for yourself and obviously everyone who's watching this knows that F3 is well known it's a very successful uh, company I'd like to say and I feel like everyone can agree with that statement I just made but it kind of moves on nicely when you do create a bot there's a lot of things you have to think about you have to think about the pricing you have to think about the branding the people you going to bring on but one of the main things you have to think about is what type of sites you want to support why do you decide with creating a bot that supports supreme versus shopify adidas or anything along that nature as i mentioned before during my studies i was paying the most attention to supreme and not nike or adidas and that's why i felt most comfortable with turning my private script that was a supreme script into a bot because i knew all ins and outs of it at the time and that was the most relevant for me because it had good shipping rates in my country. I had the best profit margins with Supreme. I just knew the brand the most. It had the most available reselling opportunities out of any other brand 
and yeah, that's why it, it just inlined uh, with my personal interests. As I said, it was a previous bot, and it also inlined with my knowledge as well. Because over time, uh, dealing with all the crazy shipping rates and managing all the reshippers was just a, a, a pain, and it, it was an, an optimal workflow and lower profit margins, not for everything, but for most things. So that's why I just fully focused on Supreme because I felt the most comfortable with it. Yeah, I agree with your points there. Comfortability is definitely a factor when you are creating anything in a business, you need to be comfortable with it. Even if there is money in a different area which you're not comfortable with, I feel like in this kind of market where you're answering to thousands of users, it is very, very important to make sure you're comfortable, you're confident also, another thing you mentioned, with the code to generate the most success. And obviously people can see that F3 is a very successful bot and it did pay off. Yeah, exactly. Because everything else, I wasn't paying as much attention. I even had, I had scripts for almost all the sites. Well, Yeezy Supply, Kipple, it was Shopify uh, and had the Adidas scripts. But even the private scripts I had, Supreme ones were the best. It played really well. It was fully in line project with my personal knowledge. So we've gone ahead and dived in how you created a name for Airfree, how the development at the beginning and your thought process was like. However, once you created some of a final product that got pushed to beta test users or users in general, what were those early days like developing Airfree and making it into the boy it is today? For me, it was mainly stressful dealing with people. Uh, as I said, I never expected so many people. So I never expected so many different opinions. And especially when testing on such a mass, I never knew all these edge cases in different countries because I never just simply encountered them while developing or while running the script while it was just a personal script. So for me, the people factor, handling, dealing support, solving issues, solving technical issues, solving, you know, some guy can't download it. Some guy can't install it. That was the biggest issue, uh, just the people factor and managing the user base, handling, handing out support to everyone in an efficient manner and not losing all my marbles at the same time. And on the developing factor as a coder, the hours, that's the main thing I felt. I didn't expect it needed so much attention because it had so many different scenarios for so many different people. Everyone had different problems, not everyone, but uh, those people who had problems, everyone had significantly different problems and they just needed so much time to test out and s create solutions for those individual edge cases that people were encountering. So the development hours were really high even after I launched it, but we didn't really have a beta period. That I think what created even more stress because we knew, well, at the, at the time, by suggestion of Shaba and by our own research, we noticed that people uh, who had beta bots, they weren't really caring that much and they were using it once and then dropping. They had just different expectations. They thought it's beta, it's probably not gonna work and just people didn't care. So we wanted to create a more engaged user base that not only would try and continuously use the bot over the coming weeks, but also would commit the time to share tips or to share issues so that in a faster rate, we would manage to create a fully polished product. Yeah, picking apart what you just said that I feel like there is two ways you can kind of go ahead when you create a bot. You can either create that beta test period to generate hype and go ahead and gain data about how your bot's working. But obviously, like you said, you were pretty confident 
and you went ahead and pushed out that product and I feel like these days people do beta test bots to try create a bit of clout around the bot but with Shaba being there and with yourself being there I feel like that kind of added popularity to the bot anyway and people were aware with exactly what the bot was and you were getting users in that did add to the stress level I feel like that is the trade-off when you don't do a beta test period and obviously it works out well so that is good to hear. So we've talked about the development stages of the actual bot on the software and creating it to a point where you can start selling it and gain this monetary gain. However, going into a business venture this big, I feel like at the beginning, you didn't even know yourself how big this was going to get. What were some of the thoughts you had going into this that turned out to be completely wrong? As I said, the attention, uh, the user numbers, uh, even the monetary gain, were everything just off the limits. I never knew that there's such a demand for such software and that there's so many people indulging this business and buying bots as well. So yeah, everything, just the scale of it in all aspects. That's what especially just blew all my expectations. Yeah, I feel like with any type of business venture within the sneaker community or even out, I feel like once it starts blowing up, you don't really predict it. You have to go with it because obviously loads of people are coming in. The demand is there. You're not going to say no to the demand. If you're restocking and people are coming towards the product, you're getting this revenue, you need to kind of go with it and you can't really prepare yourself for that. I feel like in anyone's mind, before you go into a business venture, you are going to say to yourself that it won't be that big. But once it gets there, you have to adapt. And I feel like you've done a very good job at that. Yeah, I agree that the first periods were crazy. We weren't able to adapt as quickly, especially once we just launched it, as I mentioned before, all the different issues and the fixes we had to make for different regions, especially Japan, for example. And even even the business side of things, uh, managing even the PayPal was an issue because for a new freshly created PayPal by at that point, 18 year old me was, yeah, it was an issue. My parents thought I created some drug business because they couldn't believe at the time such monetary gains were even possible by some kid that's still studying. So yeah, in all aspects, it just yeah blew the train off the tracks. And but 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 now we caught on to it, and now we're fully comfortable with what's going on. One of the points you mentioned earlier in the episode where you were talking about how you can pay for your tuition fees and you can go ahead and create this monetary gain for yourself kind of works really nicely going into our next question. And that is, what were some of the positive effects of running it free and getting it as big as it is and also the negative effects? One of the benefits of starting a free was the financial freedom and the ability to uh, pursue things I truly enjoyed and liked and the capability of helping my family uh, both financially and in other needs. And even currently, I'm helping my girlfriend to pay her tuition fees. So just this freedom of making choices, of having the ability to help others. And the negatives of uh, running F3 was the biggest one is the time. Uh, how, How much time it takes to maintain the bot, to update, to adapt to changes, the long work hours. And I cannot enjoy most of my weekends because I'm always thinking about F3. I'm thinking about the users. I feel that I, I am responsible for their investment. I'm, I'm responsible for their product. And that's what just makes me spend so much time working on F3. So that's one of the biggest negatives. And two is pursuing such a business venture, as I mentioned before, which takes up a lot of time, is getting out of touch with your friends. You simply do not have the time or capacity to meet with your friends or spend time with your friends for how, how long you want. You're always uh, strapped into the work you have to do, the work you're planning to do, 
And the, the long hours is one of the biggest things that I think impacted everything, both my social life and my weekends and my free time. All I do is work on F3. That's how I should put it. And that usually takes away from, that usually takes away from my uh, weekends and, and even holidays. Because even right now, as an example, during Christmas, I spent a few days with my family and then back to planning what to do on F3. And at the same time, it's quite hard to manage both family and maintaining a healthy relationship, both with my girlfriend and my parents and my friends, and also trying to be responsible about my users and the promises that I made to them to ensure that their investment and spending the money on our products is worthwhile and pays off. Yeah, expanding on something you just said there, I feel like... It is something to mention. When you have a regular occupation, like let's say a 9 to 5 job, your hours are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You do the hours, you go home and anything outside of that, maybe you have some external work to do in relation to your job. But anything outside of that, literally, you're free. You're free to do as you like. But with this job that you have, a developer of Supreme Bot, except for being off season where you still do development work for other stuff as well, you're constantly working. You're constantly trying to keep these promises to user base, satisfy thousands of users. And I feel like that is a huge trade-off because we all know being a developer, being in this industry where you own a bot, you can make a lot of money. It is an industry, it is a community, it is a niche market where you can make lots of money. We all know that. But I feel like that is a huge, huge trade-off that you're and a sacrifice you have to be willing to make to be able to create a product in this community and also continue to develop it. Yeah, I completely agree. Because, as you mentioned, thousands of users, and even to this day, I feel a personal attachment to my product. F3 is still my baby. And um, whenever people, let's say, after a failed drop, they complain, or even there are cases where everyone cooks and is successful, but a few people, I don't know, maybe it's their bank or some proxy issues or just a bad setup and people still complain. I feel guilty when people complain and I feel like I'm responsible for their failure, even though in the back of my mind, I know that I cannot really guarantee success for 100% everyone because everyone's configuration and setup and time invested invested setting up the bot is different. But yeah, that's what drives me to spend so much time on F3 is just I feel personally attached to the people's opinions of the product and their happiness as a user yeah what you said there really really nicely segues into the next thing i do want to ask you obviously one variable that comes with all bots is a success ratio to its users and success overall what is the effects on your personal life if any like you said you're linked to your product you feel like you're connected to it if every goes ahead and succeeds in a drop is there any effects on your personal life if F3 succeeds, I just feel relaxed. Even at this point, my whole family knows about this and I get messages uh, at around six or seven o'clock. That's when both regions have passed my time, US and EU. And they ask, okay, how did it go? Even my girlfriend knows when are the big drops happening and she always calls me or asks me, okay, how did it go? So I tie in all my family and it's just this sense of relief and sense achievement, especially if there was a big drop like box logos where you spent all this extra time adding these extra measures, additional measures to handle any potential changes. And if it works and everyone's happy, that's the biggest feeling. It's like the weight dropping off your heart and you feel just relieved and you feel happy that, that your time spent and your efforts were worthwhile 
And at the same time, I don't really feel guilty for being responsible that people fail the drop. So it's just pure happiness and sense of achievement. Yeah, I feel like that does back up what you said earlier, where you feel like you have that connection with your product. Obviously, when success does come through, it is a very, very nice feeling. It kind of lifts weight off your shoulders if your product is doing well and it succeeds and also meeting the customer's needs and everything as well. However, flipping the coin here, when it doesn't do so well, what do you tell yourself to keep yourself in a positive mindset and how does that affect your personal life? Well, as I mentioned before, I do feel this personal attachment and I feel sad and I feel I usually just want to be alone for a few minutes uh, just to try to gr get a grasp on what changed and why exactly it failed. But I don't let, allow myself to think deeply in these thoughts. And I just usually spend this couple bad moments after a failed drop to quickly getting a grasp of what exactly went wrong and just trying to fix it as quickly as possible because I know that my users depend on me and it's my baby and I have to just, I feel the responsibility of making it work really well. So I just try to do my best every single time. And yeah, I just try to get a grip on why it went wrong and fix it as quickly as possible to make my users happy. And at the same time, make myself happy. Yeah, I feel like that is the perfect mindset to get. Obviously, when it doesn't go well, it is sad. And obviously you can feel down about it. But the best thing to do is get up, view everyone's logs, ask for logs, look at the errors, look what's going wrong and try and make it better for next week. Yeah, exactly. That's what I do every time it goes wrong. Um, or even for some users, I always ask for their logs and their input and trying to uh, polish all the potential issues that some users or maybe all users could have encountered. And even to this point, I care about every user's little er error. So if one guy out of hundreds running has some issue, I still ask for his logs and still try to dive into that issue he encountered and ex either explain to him or fix it if it was some very low chance edge case that made his instance fail. I feel like we've covered a lot of the bases about how you got into reselling, how you developed F3 to point is now, kind of going into a lot of personal elements of your personal life that I feel like the viewers will appreciate that. However, to wrap up today's interview section of today's episode, I want to talk to you about what do you expect from F3 going into future jobs? I expect from F3 the utmost success. I think I made it clear that it's my both personal and emotional attachment to the well-being of the bot and my user base. And I just both wish it and I believe and I'm quite confident in the upcoming success uh, of F3 in the upcoming drops. Well, for F3 users, you guys heard it first. The developer is very, very confident. I feel like a lot of people are confident going into F3. Me personally, I did renew my F3 copy. I'm going into the new season where F3, F3 performed very well for me in the previous season. But to finish off the interview section of today's episode, what can F3 users expect in the near future in reference to new sites being supported, new additions, anything in that nature? Well, most users already know uh, about 3.0. That's already happening this season. It's long promised, long awaited. Uh, but I tried to explain to many users, I tried to explain to a lot of people who asked why 3.0 is taking so long. It's just I try, I'm trying to perfect the user base to both prepare for uh, potential future sites, but also to optimize and reduce the time it takes to create fixes or push updates. In regards of other products, proxies recently released. So that's one thing that was in the pipeline. A new version of mobile is also 
in the pipeline with optimizations and some changes to it. And uh, of course, Shopify or Footsites is in my sites, especially Footsites. Recently, I started diving in more a bit into Footsites and researching it. And I feel like it's a better market than Shopify was once I promised my user Shopify. Yeah, so the users could expect Footsites as well. Well, if you guys are a free user right now, you guys have a very, very bright future. A lot of things to look forward to. Also, quickly, before we get on to the final section of today's episode, I want you guys to go down below into the description. Check out Efri there. Twitter will be linked down below. And also, Zcron's Twitter will be down below as well. I want you guys to check him out. Drop him a follow. He tweets about Efri as well. Also, his personal views and stuff like that. You guys can go ahead and check them out. Also, if you guys are interested about hearing in Shaba's episode, I will leave his episode linked down below. We did dive into Efri as well in that episode. So guys, we have the final section of today's episode, which is the restock section. I'm going to go ahead and follow you through the instructions in a few seconds here. Good luck, guys. So guys, that was the episode. I really, really hope you guys had enjoyed. Now, on to the live events. Essentially, what's going to happen is after this, after 30 seconds of me prefacing this, three questions will come up on the screen. Essentially, those would either be one word answers or one letter answers. In the question, at the end of the question, it will say brackets word or brackets letter, indicating that the answer is either one word or one letter. Go ahead and figure out the answers for all the questions. Put them all together in the order they appear on screen. Now, once you have all those words together, I want you guys to go to the link on screen right now. If you guys want to pre open it that's fine on that page there's essentially a password box you guys want to put all the answers in all together in the order it's appeared on screen with no copy no spaces and you will get access to the restock good luck guys